worth in what Jesus has done for us. God, that is our prayer. Move in this moment now by your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're continuing our series in the book of Genesis. We are in Genesis 43 today. Genesis 43. And the title of today's message is The Mercy and Blessings of God. Throughout this whole chapter, we'll see God's great mercy and blessings he gives to people that don't deserve him, that are unworthy, but that he makes worthy. And they, he actually brings them into his family. And we'll see how, G, how that really points to Jesus and how Jesus gives us mercy and blessings in our lives as well. And we have three main points We'll see number one, self-sacrifice. There's going to be a person in this story named Judah who will be willing to give up himself to put his life on the line to save someone else. And as we know, that points to Jesus. Jesus gave his life up for us. And then number two, we will see gifts and dependence on God. Here we'll see uh, Jacob try to maybe gain favor with someone by giving them gifts. And we'll say that's, that's a wise thing to do. Giving gifts is a good thing. But that's not all there is. You must have dependence on God, right? You can do everything you can to make it right, but ultimately you have to be dependent on God in prayer and cry out to Him. Cry out to God Almighty for His deliverance. And then third, we'll see, we'll ask the question, as the brothers will be in this scenario, they're going to be asking themselves, is this too good to be true? It seems too good to be true. We're receiving, we were receiving all this mercy and blessing. I don't know if this, something's about to happen, right? I don't know if this is too good to be true. And we'll see, sometimes we think about salvation that way. We think about what Jesus has done for us. We're like, is this too good to be true? It really is good, but it really is true as well. We'll see all those things today. So this week we pick back up in Genesis 43. We read uh, last week, Jacob. we'll read how Jacob will finally give in and send his son Benjamin to Egypt. Because one, they need more food. And number two, his son Judah pledges his own life in order to keep his son Benjamin safe. As we read in Genesis 43 verse 1. Now the famine in the land was severe. When they had used up the grain they had brought back from Egypt, their father said to them, Go back and buy us a little food. But Judah said to him, The man specifically warned us, You will not see me again unless your brother is with you. So here's the, the tension in the story. They need food. They're starving. There's a famine. But... The only place that has food is in Egypt. And the only way they can get food from Egypt is, is if they're willing to bring back their brother Benjamin back with them. But as we saw last week, Jacob does not want to send his, his son Benjamin because he loves Benjamin so much. And I would argue he idolizes his son. He's willing to risk everything. Even here, he, just, he doesn't say, send your brother Benjamin back with you to get the food. He says, why don't you guys go and get it? Your other, my other 10 sons. And what he's doing, in, in essence, in effect, is he's risking the lives of his 10 sons. He's like, I know what, what, uh, what Egypt said, what the second person in command said. I said. He'll kill you if you go back without him, but let's risk it. And so it's like, that's not going to work. And they try to convince him. 
they tell, they remind their dad, they're like, we have, Benjamin has to go with us. And so what actually convinces Jacob to send his son is down in verse 8. Look back, look down in verse 8. It says, Judah said to his father Israel, remember Israel is another name for Jacob. He said, send the boy with me. We will be on our way so that we may live and not die. Neither we nor you nor our dependents. So see the severity of the problem. They're about to die. They need this. All right, we have to do this, he's saying. And then look in verse 9. He says, I will be responsible for him. You can hold me personally accountable. Okay. And in Hebrew, when Judah says, you can hold me personally accountable, literally it means, of my hand you shall require. Of my hand you shall require. And so this is a phrase in Hebrew that says, you can take my life if, this, if I don't bring Benjamin back. He's putting his own life on the line. Now remember last week, their other brother Reuben said, Dad, send Benjamin with us, and if I don't bring him back safe, you can, you, we can punish my two sons. And so what Judah's doing, he's like, it's not about my sons, it's not about anybody else, I'm putting my own life on the line. Okay? He's saying, if I will do this, I will keep him safe. Judah is prepared to place his own life on the line for his brother. And I think it's no coincidence that through Judah's lineage, Judah, this person, right, this brother right here, through his lineage, his great, great, great grandson would be the Messiah. Jesus would be born from Judah's line. Judah's self-sacrifice is pointing to the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus. And Jesus would not only be willing to put his life on the line, he went through with it. He sacrificially gave himself up so that we could live. We were guilty, but Jesus said, hold me personally accountable. And as we find salvation, and as we find our rest and victory in Jesus' sacrificial love for us, Jesus turns to you, turns to each Christian here today, and he says this in John 15, 12. In the New Testament, Jesus says, this is my command. Love one another as I have loved you. No one greater has a greater love than this to lay down his life for his friends. So if you have experienced the sacrificial love of God, you are to respond by sacrificially loving others. Judah will die to keep his brother Benjamin safe. Christians are to have the same type of love. As a Christian husband, you are to give up your, of yourself for the good and love of your wife. Wives are to sacrificially love their husbands. Parents are to make sacrifices for their kids. Kids are to lay down their pride and rebellion in love for their parents. Church members are to love one another like Jesus loved us. And sacrificial love also means giving the benefit of the doubt, assuming the best in others, giving up of your time, dying to yourself, giving up of your finances for the other person, not being selfish, not being prideful, but humble and compassionate. As 1 John 3.16 says, this is how we have come to know love. He laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has the world's goods and sees a fellow believer in need, but withholds compassion from him, 
How does God's love reside in him? So we need to rest in Jesus' sacrificial love for us. And once you have experienced the love of God, that should overflow to your love for others. Don't withhold compassion. Don't withhold mercy from your brothers and sisters. We all need mercy and compassion. We need each other's love more than you could ever know. And after hearing Judah's promise of protection and willingness to put his own life on the line, Jacob gives in. He will send his, his son Benjamin. As we turn to our second point here, gifts and dependence on God. Back in Genesis 43, verse 11. It says, Then their father Israel said to them, If it must be so, then do this. Put some of the best products of the land in your packs and take them down to the man as a gift. A little balsam, a little honey, aromatic gum and risin, pistachios and almonds. Take twice as much silver with you. Return the silver that was returned to you in the top of your bags. Perhaps it was a mistake. Take your brother also and go back at once to the man. So we see here Jacob is doing everything humanly possible to try to keep Benjamin safe. He's sending everything he has. Remember, this is in a time of famine. They're in starving. But he's saying, send all the food we have, send all the money we have, so we can keep Benjamin safe. Now, this is uh, mentioned four times in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs, a book of wisdom of God. To actually, It is actually a good thing. It's wise to give gifts. And one of them and says it like this in Proverbs 18, 16. It says, a person's gift opens doors for him and brings him before the great. And so Jacob is acting wisely here. He, there is a threat in Egypt. This man, he, he doesn't know that it's his son Joseph at this point. But there's this man, there, there's a threat. He doesn't know if he's an enemy or a friend. And so he's trying to make a good appeal before him. There's some wisdom in that. Now, we must be careful. We don't want to use our gifts to manipulate people, obviously. But there is wisdom, and it is a kind gesture to give a gift. It flows right along with the idea of self-sacrifice. If you're dying to yourself, if you're dying to your own needs, that would overflow into loving and giving up something, giving up a gift for something for someone else. And just imagine how better the place would be, how better the world would be if there was more gift giving, right? So the challenge for the week, give someone a gift. It has to be, it doesn't have to be big, it could be small. And a really good focus on this, if you want to be involved in something like this, right? The, the secret sister, is it a secret sister club? What do you call it? Group, meeting, whatever. Yeah. <clears throat> They're meeting for lunch on February 4th. If you haven't been a part of this and you're a lady, you want to be a part of this, this is a great time to get to know the ladies and an opportunity to give a gift and it'd be in secret. So, you know, you find out, they'll find out this next Sunday, February 4th, who it is. Now, as good as important as being generous and kind is, we must remember we can't just take things into our own hands. Right? We can't think if we just say the right word, if we give enough time, if we give enough money, then we'll restore this relationship with somebody. We'll make everything right if we just pour enough money into it. That's not what it's ultimately dependent on. We ultimately are dependent on God in each and every situation. As Jacob will also cry out to God with a prayer for mercy. Look at verse 14. He cries out, may God Almighty cause the man to be merciful to you so that he will release your other brother 
and Benjamin to you. So he recognizes that at the end of the day, even after all his gifts, the safety of his sons is dependent on God. He can give all his possessions. He can give all of his money. He can do everything in his power to keep his sons safe. But it's ultimately God who will cause the man in Egypt to be merciful. Thank you. So God is the one with ultimate power. God is called God Almighty, El Shaddai in Hebrew. God is powerful. He is mighty enough Remember back in Genesis 17, he's mighty enough to bring Abraham into his covenant promise. In Genesis 17, he says, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him saying, I am God Almighty. Live in my presence and be blameless. The same God who is powerful and mighty to bless Abraham was also with his grandson Jacob when God said to him in Genesis 35, 11, he says, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation indeed, an assembly of nations will come from you, and kings will descend from you. Throughout the scriptures, God is shown to be God Almighty for his people. He is strong. He is powerful to build them up, to bring them through difficult times, to bless them even in the midst of hardship. We serve a God who is all-powerful, almighty. We have no one. We have nothing to fear. If God is on our side. So if Jacob is crying out here in verse 14, may God Almighty cause the man to be merciful to you. <clears throat> I thought I turned it off. That's embarrassing. If anything we'll learn today, it's not dependent on me, right? Look at verse 14. May God Almighty cause the man to be merciful to you. So if you're having difficulty in school, cry out to God Almighty. If you're having difficulty in your marriage, cry out to God Almighty. If you're having difficulty with a friend, a fellow church member, cry out to God Almighty. Depend on him in every circumstance. Trust in God's perfect will for your life. We talked a little bit about this last night. and God may answer your prayer exactly as you asked, right? He might also answer your prayer better than you could even ask it, right? But then also, he might answer it in a way that you would only understand in eternity. But no matter what, you have to remember that we serve and we have a good and loving God. And he has your best interest. He knows what you need. And at the end of the day, we would want to say, as Jesus said, not my will, but yours be done. As Jacob will show his trust in God at the end of his prayer, at the end of verse 14, he says, As for me, if I'm deprived of my sons, then I'm deprived. In other words, God, I want this to happen. But if it doesn't, you're still God Almighty. You're still God Almighty. As Esther was willing to risk death in the book of Esther, when she said in verse 16 of chapter 4, she said, I will go to the king even if it's against the law. If I perish, I perish. She was willing to do what she needed to do to save her people. And if she perished, she perished. She would accept God's will no matter what. 
And Jacob is doing that here. He's accepting God's will no matter what. And so will we remain faithful to God no matter what? Even if what, will we do what is right even if it leads to hardship and suffering? If God makes the problem go away during your homework and during your school, or if he doesn't, if he doesn't make the problem go away, God's still God Almighty. If he makes parenting a little easier tomorrow, or if he doesn't, God is still God Almighty. If he fixes your marriage, or he doesn't, God is still God Almighty. If he resolves all your issues at work and you have, he gives you the perfect manager, or he doesn't, God is still God Almighty. And we can cry out to him with our wants, cry out to him with our desires, and rest in his compassion and mercy. And so with these good gifts gathered, with their prayers prayed, they head to Egypt with Benjamin in tow. And as they stood before Joseph, second in command to Egypt, their brother, but they didn't know it yet, we'll see the unfolding of God's blessing and compassion on them. And they will think it's too good to be true. Look in verse 16. It says, when Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to his steward, take the men to my house, slaughter an animal and prepare it, for they will eat with me at noon. So remember, this whole scenario started because Joseph wanted to test their character. He wanted to see if they were honest, see if they would come back for their brother. And they are. They were. They came back. They come back to save Simeon. And he invites them into his house, and he will celebrate with them. They will have a feast together. And Joseph here is really similar to the loving and compassionate father in the, in the parable of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. In that story, the father represents God's mercy and compassion on those who come to him in repentance, who come before him in need and brokenness. However, unlike the story of the prodigal son, the brothers didn't immediately accept the blessings from Joseph. They were skeptical about this great feast for them. They still had some lingering guilt about what they did to their brother Joseph, and they felt like they were about to be punished even in this moment. Look in verse 18. It says, But the men were afraid because they were taken to Joseph's house. They said, We have been brought here because of the silver that was returned in our bags the first time. They intend to overpower us, seize us, make us slaves, and take our donkeys. So even in the midst of blessing, like they're about to have a feast and a celebrate, they're just like, this is a trap. You ever feel that way? Like somebody, somebody does something nice for you and you're like, is this a trap? Like you're about to do something. And so they're, they're feeling like this is a blessing that's too good to be true. And really, if you truly understand in the big scheme of things in your life, if you understand the depth of your sin and the holiness and perfection of God, and you hear about the good news of Jesus, how you can be saved from that and promised eternal life, it would sound too good to be true. And I, I was thinking about this week, and I think a lot, you look at all the other religions out there, I think this is where they get caught up on. Because they, imagine you hear the good news of Jesus, how he died for your sins, and it's a free gift. All you have to do is accept the gift and trust. We're asking you, to, the, God, Jesus, is asking you to trust in him. The one who has all the power, why would we not trust in him? He's asking us to trust in him. That sounds too good to be true. And we get the promise of eternal life comes with that. So we have these other religions that say, nah, it can't be just a free gift. you got to do something to earn it. 
right? You got to do something to contribute to your salvation. But the good news of Jesus in the, in the Bible is like, no, you can't earn it. You don't deserve it. You can't contribute to it. Just respond in faith, in trust. But the question is, will you accept it? You've heard the message. Will you accept it? The brothers voice their concern to the servant. They make this appeal in verse 22. They say, we have brought additional silver with us to buy food. We don't know who put our silver in our bags. And listen to this, verse 23. The steward said, may you be well. Don't be afraid. Your God and the God of your father must have put treasure in your bags. I received your silver. Then he brought Simeon out to them. This is a shocking statement. They are thinking they're about to be accused of stealing and be punished. But remember last week, Joseph told this servant to put the silver in the bags. And so the servant knows exactly what's going on. And what does the servant do? He attributes this whole thing to God. He's saying, God is in this. Your God is working in the background. Don't be afraid. Trust in him. God is working in the midst of this. God is working things out for your good, even if it doesn't look like it. And it didn't look like a good thing at first, but just wait and see. Don't be afraid. Trust in God Almighty. Look in verse 24 of this blessing that is going to be on them. It says, The steward brought the men into Joseph's house, gave them water to wash their feet, and got feed for their donkeys. Since the men had heard that they were going to eat a meal there, they prepared their gift for Joseph's arrival at noon. Look at that. Listen to this. They didn't even give the gifts yet. They're already getting the blessing, and they didn't have to do anything for it, right? In verse 26, when Joseph came home, they brought him the gift they had carried into the house, and they bowed to the ground before him. He asked if they were well, and he said, uh, and Joseph said, how is your elderly father that you told me about? Is he still alive? They answered, your servant, our father, is well. He's still alive. And they knelt low and paid homage to him. When he looked up and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, he asked, Is this your youngest brother that you told me about? Then he said, May God be gracious to you, my son. So in this story, they are receiving blessing upon blessing. They get cleaned up. Everything is taken care of. Now Benjamin gets this special blessing when he says, God be gracious to you. And in the midst of all this joy and blessing, look in verse 30. Joseph hurried out because he was overcome with emotion for his brother. And he was about to weep. He went into an inner room and wept there. He washed his face and came out, regaining his composure. He said, serve the meal. They served him by himself, his brothers by themselves, and the Egyptians who were eating with him by themselves. This is this is kind of heartbreaking, but we'll see a, a, a better way forward. It says they didn't eat together because the Egyptians could not eat with Hebrews since that is detestable to them. They were seated before him in order by age, from the firstborn to the youngest. The men looked at each other in astonishment. And then verse 34, then he took servings to them from before him, but J Benjamin's serving was five times as much as any of theirs. So they drank and were merry with him. So Benjamin is chosen out of the, the brothers and given special favor. And what happens when last time one of the sons had special favor? Joseph was the one with special favor, right? 
And the brothers were envious and angered and wanted to get rid of him. But here, when Benjamin is favored, there's no sign that the brothers are angry or jealous. I think they've learned their lesson. If God chooses to bless someone, be happy for them. God, be rejoice in the fact that God is blessing them. And they were likely, why were the brothers astonished? They were, they're kind of in awe and shock of what everything is going on. Because remember, this is too good to be true. They're coming in thinking that they're going to receive punishment, but they're receiving blessing. And they were able to feast at his house. Now, as I said, Egyptians didn't eat with Hebrews. They were looked down upon. They were second-class citizens. They were not worthy of the same kind of respect and honor. But, he, but still, they were receiving blessing upon blessing here. And this grace and mercy is even exemplified because, remember, who, is he, who are the characters? Joseph. The only way he got the second-in-command of Egypt is he went through a lot of suffering. And the, all the suffering started... Because his brothers threw him in a pit and sold him to slavery. And despite doing that to their brother, despite all that has happened, Joseph is merciful to them. He doesn't seek revenge. He forgives them. He blesses them. He takes care of them. He doesn't give them what they deserve. He invites them into his house and blesses them. Does that story sound familiar? The story of Joseph is pointing to the story of Jesus. Jesus was the one who was sinned against. Jesus was the one who was persecuted. And this same Jesus invited his enemies, sinners like you and me. He invited us into his house, into his very family, to sit with him at his table. There was no distinction between Egyptians and Jews. Jesus says, sit with me. And then receive blessing and honor. It's almost too good to be true. Jesus, just as the Father welcomes the one who is far off and rebellious, Jesus welcomes each and every one of us if we respond in faith. I'm going to close with the reading of Luke 15, verse 20 through 24. A powerful message, a powerful story about God's compassion and love for his children. It says, so he got up and went to his father. This is about a son who rebelled, who went away, what he called the prodigal son. He was deep in sin, but now he recognizes he needs to come back to God, come back to the father. It says, but while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was, was filled with compassion. He ran through his arms around his neck and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father told his servants, Quick, bring out the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then bring the fattened calf and slaughter it, and let's celebrate with a feast. Because this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. That is the good news of the gospel. That when you repent of your sin, 
and trust in Jesus, you are brought into the family of God. And he wraps his arms around you. And he celebrates with you. There is no more distinction. There is no more shame. He gives you honor. All you have to do is accept his gift. So as we go into our time of response today, that is our first call. Respond to the gift. If you've never repented and turned away from your sins and trusted in Jesus, let today be that day. Proclaim that. I would love for you to share that with me during this time of response. Come down at the front. I would love to pray with you, and we can celebrate your decision to follow Jesus and accept the free gift of salvation. And then the second call of response today, if you've been a Christian for a long time, we need to cry out to God Almighty today. We, if you have something going on in your life, whether it's in your school, job, in your family, within uh, your church family. And what I'm going to be crying out today is for revival. Revival for each and every one of us in our church, that the Spirit would move in our hearts. And we, we need to cry out to God Almighty for that. So the first pews will be opened if you want to be there. The stage, the altar will be open to pray. Let us stand and worship our great God and Savior for all that He's done. And as you feel led, Come down and cry out to God Almighty.